0: You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: Good morning, and welcome to Score Values on 670 to Score. I'm Adam Staczynski. Coming up on this week's show, we have an in-depth conversation on the negative effects of single sports specialization in youth athletes. It's spring here in the Chicagoland area, and summer is right around the corner. That means the return of baseball and summer sports, especially for youth athletes. Dr. Nick Hill Verma is the director of sports medicine at Midwest Orthopedics at Rush. He's also the head team physician for the Chicago White Sox and team physician for the Bulls. As a nationally renowned orthopedic surgeon, he also treats youth athletes. Dr. Verma has learned that focusing on a single sport from a young age and increasingly popular practice is the cause of unprecedented injuries in child athletes. I spoke in depth about this and more with Dr. Verma. Dr. Verma, thanks so much for being with us this morning. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Of course. So uh, I, I want to start off by having you just introduce yourself a little bit, and and some of the things that you do, and and uh, particularly now when it comes to helping with with youth and youth sports.
2: Sure. So I'm the director of sports medicine at Rush University Medical Center, and we take care of um, athletes, weekend warriors, all the way from, you know, the pre-teenage years up to the professional athlete and then to older folks who are just looking to stay active. But we've had some specific interests in looking at our younger athletes uh, in terms of injury prevention and injury recovery and understanding why we're starting to see some trends of injuries that used to happen to players in their twenties now happening to pe- players in their teenage years,
1: and I'm glad you mentioned that because it's the the main thing that we're going to be discussing here today. And so a number that was presented to me as we're preparing, for, as I'm preparing for this. So you know, the average age of an athlete getting Tommy John surgery, which is a, a, a surgery that many people familiar with baseball are are know about. So in 2004, the average age was like 27, but by 2014, it's down to 17. And I know it was noted that you've done this operation on kids as young as 13. And a lot of this seems to be the fact that these teens or these these youth athletes are playing baseball, in this particular case, year-round and, and doing... What's referred to, I guess, as single sports specialization. So let me start by asking you what single sports specialization is.
2: So basically, we define single sports specialization as youth athletes dedicating themselves to a single sport rather than playing multiple sports during the year so they basically are focusing on a single sport to the exclusion of other sports that's number one and number two is the bigger problem is that these athletes are playing these sports year round and generally that's defined as more than eight to nine months out of the year
1: okay and and so now, why would that cause some of these injuries to be more prevalent in younger athletes when they it used to be something that, say, an MLB pitcher would have done in their mid to late 20s?
2: So I think what we know about these specific injuries in baseball is that it's an exposure risk, it's a volume of throwing risk, and it's a... A velocity risk. And what we're seeing in the youth athlete is that all of these things are getting worse over time. The exposure risk is getting worse because these athletes are no longer just playing a single season during the year and then moving on to you know football in the fall or soccer in the fall and basketball in the winter, but rather they're going from uh, their school teams to club teams and summer teams and then doing off-season conditioning work Uh, or showcases other things that they're trying to do to give them the best chance to play at the next level. In addition, I think the radar gun has been a big problem. We're seeing these kids tracking their velocity at a younger and younger age. So we're seeing the introduction of velocity-enhancing programs such as weighted balls or other things that are trying to cater specifically to increasing velocity on the speed gun. And we know that there's a very linear relationship between uh, velocity and uh, injury. And then frankly, unfortunately, these kids are are really just throwing to the detriment of doing anything else, which means that conditioning often falls by the wayside, Uh, nobody's really paying attention to their mechanics as much as at the professional level, and they just don't have the access to the resources of a professional athlete that we use to keep those players healthy. And all of these factors are, are combining to create what's really been a, a major problem in youth sports, which is that injuries are happening more frequently, and unfortunately, they're happening younger and younger, and that has ramifications all the way down uh, you know, the lifespan of an athlete.
1: Uh, one more question it, specifically i guess, since we've been using the tommy john example it, when you have that type of surgery as young as 13 I, I know that it seems like every pitcher just kind of has to go through this eventually but what kind of why would it be detrimental i would say to, to have it at the age of 13 when when you're that young and your body's still de- developing
2: So as you said, to some degree, unfortunately, the reality with Tommy John surgery, particularly in the age that we're in where pitchers are just bigger, stronger, and throwing harder, is that it it is becoming somewhat of a quote-unquote rite of passage in baseball. We see that probably more than a third of of major league pitchers will have a Tommy John procedure at some point in their career, and those numbers continue to increase. But what's important to recognize is that you know the the need for a Tommy John surgery is really related to throwing and it 's related to the fact that we 're asking the ligament in the elbow to meet or exceed the loads that it 's capable of handling so as we throw harder and harder, that ligament is really operating right around its failure zone, which is why most uh, or many i shouldn 't say most but many athletes will have a ligament that fails over the life of their career. The problem with that is that when we reconstruct the ligament we're not doing better than, you know, the big guy upstairs who designed us is able to do, meaning there's a misconception here that somehow Tommy John surgery makes that ligament stronger or better or makes athletes throw harder and that's not really the reality all that we're doing is resetting the clock we're giving them a new ligament but that ligament is going to be exposed to the same forces of the native ligament and over time we see that ligament fail which means that mm. you know revision surgery starts to become more and more prominent by the time an athlete gets 10 or 12 years out from their Tommy John Now, if you're 25 or 26 and you have a Tommy John and we get you to 36, that's probably the lifespan of a a baseball career. Mm -hmm. But if you're 13 and you have a Tommy John and your ligament's starting to fail by the time you get to college, that may spell the end of your career. And, you know, we've had some experience with that here in Chicago with athletes like Kerry Wood, who were phenomenal athletes at high school or or, uh, during their early years, but Injuries just ended up catching up to them and really cost them a, a very a, what was likely to be a very successful professional career.
1: Why not a little bit? And getting back to a little bit more of the of the issue with single sports specialization. What other types of injuries are you seeing that not not just specifically related to baseball, but other sports, you know, football, soccer, that you could attribute you think to playing just one sport at an at early on and and can, trying to continue that all the way through high school and college?
2: So things that we see commonly are, are, for example, growth plate injuries that occur in the younger athletes where if they do too much of one thing, they end up having pain at their growth plates. That can happen at the knee or the ankle. Stress fractures are another big one that we see in our youth athletes where they just are are going from doing nothing to doing a lot of something very quickly. We saw that happen during the COVID seasons where you know, sports were shut down and then they'd restart or they went an entire season without playing and then came back. Uh, just growth pain type injuries where they're having muscle soreness or muscle pain related to performing an activity is pretty common. And then the other big thing that we're, we're seeing more and more of is is injuries in female athletes. So we used to see a lot of these overuse injuries in male athletes. A good example is the softball versus the baseball world. In the baseball world, we'd never have a pitcher go out there and throw three games out of a four-game set over the weekend. But that's pretty common in the softball world. And and the misnomer has been that these softball athletes are immune to injuries to their shoulder and the elbow. And I'm, in fact, seeing more and more overuse injuries to the shoulder and the elbow, even in these uh, softball pitchers.
1: I, you know, I was just say, going to ask you, too, So, can you tell me a little bit more, or, or the audience, I guess, I to say a little bit more about the difference in male versus female athletes in regards to this single-sport specialization?
2: Well, I, th- I think the difference over time, frankly, has been that this was a more prominent problem in the males early on, meaning the male athletes moved towards single-sport sport specialization earlier than the female athletes have. But now we see the exact same problem happening in the female athletes, which is they're starting to specialize earlier and they're really focusing on that sport throughout the year. And as we've seen that, we've seen the trend in injuries to the female athletes start to pick up. And so, again, the big things that we see in the females are stress fractures, you know, particularly as they go through puberty, uh, they have Uh, different types of hormonal patterns that lead them or can predispose them to stress fractures differently than the males. ACL injuries are a big problem in females where their risk of ACL injuries are about four to six times the boys'. Uh, and then we see, you know, the shoulder, elbow problems in the, in the throwing athletes and the volleyball athletes. So, it really is paralleling paralleling what we are seeing in the men or the the males, I should say. But we're seeing that now come to fruition as women have moved towards sports specialization in the same pattern that that males did, you know, five to ten years ago.
1: We're speaking with Dr. Nick Hill Verma. He's the director of sports medicine at Midwest Orthopedics at Rush, also head team physician for the White Sox and team physician for the Bulls. Dr. Verma, why do you believe we're seeing this increase in single sports specialization amongst youth athletes?
2: So, I think, frankly, unfortunately, it's the adults driving the bus, and the reality is that youth sports has become no longer about, uh, you know, developing youth to some degree, developing talent, but it really youth sports used to be about getting kids together, teaching them about uh, life skills, about winning and losing, mm-hmm. working together as a team. And let's be honest, the vast majority of athletes that play youth sports up to the age 18 are not going to be playing organized sports beyond that. And so what we see is now is that very early on, these kids have to make a choice by 13 or 14. They either have to say, I'm going to dedicate my entire life to a single sport so that I can play club and I can play travel and Mm -hmm. I can, uh, you know, continue to participate. Or they just get burnt out and they say, you know what, I'm going to do something else. Uh, And if you look at youth sports today, it's a multi-billion dollar business, which means that as we continue to create leagues and we continue to build ice rinks and we continue to build facilities, the reality is that those facilities and those leagues cannot operate unless they have athletes that are paying the bills to keep them online. And I think it's a problem. I think that we've gone towards... the business side of sports in the youth world. And that's driving this need towards participation. Mm. And unfortunately, there's a lot of peer pressure for kids and for adults to say, if my kid's going to have a chance to be successful, or if my kid's going to continue to play, They've got to join the travel league, and they've, you know, we've know we got to go out of town every weekend for them to compete, and we've got to do all the things that the other kids are doing with sports performance programs and personal trainers and uh, conditioning coaches and sports coaches to try to allow them to be successful. And I think, unfortunately, we've lost sight of what really the value is in youth sports for the vast mm-hmm. majority of our younger athletes.
1: And you know, that brings up something interesting, because I know I've seen... A lot of you know, my former high school coaches or even some of my friends that now coach high school that point out the fact that a lot of these professional athletes played multiple sports growing up and especially in high school. So what is beneficial about playing multiple sports when you're growing up and, and, and into high school and not just saying, I'm going to focus on baseball. Or, I'm just going to focus on football.
2: So I think a couple things. Number one is participation in athletics makes an athlete better. And there's pretty good data out there that shows that single-sport specialization does not result in any improved performance in a single sport later in life, meaning because you play a single sport from a younger age, it doesn't make you better at that sport um, later in life. In addition, there's good data to suggest that the athletes who are good at a sport later in life probably have played less of that sport when they were younger and more were more of a well-rounded athlete. And furthermore, if you develop sports skills, and those skills are often translatable from one sport to the other, it takes less time for an athlete to develop a super specialty skill in a single sport if they're overall a well-rounded athlete. You know, Urban Meyer, who obviously has run into some hard times recently when he was at Ohio State, he often would make a comment about how they preferred uh, multi-sport athletes over single-sport athletes uh, on their teams. And in fact, the majority of players, if you look at a collegiate or a professional level, were often multi-sport athletes uh, growing up. So I, th- I think part of the problem here has, again, been the adult-driven world, driving kids to move into single-sport specialization. And then, you know, there are, there other influences. There was a book that was published that talked about the 10,000 hour rule for musicians in terms of their ability to become expert musicians. And and people just took that to translate across the board into almost everything that we do. And the reality is that you might need 10,000 hours of athletics to be a great athlete. It doesn't mean that you need 10,000 hours of baseball to be a great baseball player. And in fact, there's probably some deleterious effects of trying to specialize to get those hours
3: in.
1: You touched on this a little bit earlier, but I'm hoping you can expand on it a little bit. And that's the psychological impact of single sports specialization. And I know the phrase that's, that's thrown out there a lot is the concept of burnout when you're doing something so much at a young age and by the time you're in high school, you don't want to do it anymore.
2: Yeah, there's no question that it's real. And, you know, we've seen studies that have looked at the reasons why kids go away from sports. And one of the biggest ones is just mental fatigue um, or uh, uh, getting fed up, so to speak. They're just done with it, and they, they can't participate at the level that's required. And I think that goes back to the fact that, you know, when you're 13, 14, 15 years old, to ask a kid to make a commitment where they're going to play every weekend in a single sport. They're going to travel every weekend for a single sport. After school, everything that they do is going to be devoted to a single sport. That's a big ask of most kids. And unfortunately, what it means is they're asked to make sacrifices – in other places. So, you know, it's no longer about I want to be on the high school newspaper and then in the science club and I'm going to play basketball in the fall and, uh, you know, baseball in the spring. It's about I'm going to choose one of those things and do only that if it comes to sports. And I think what happens is two things. Number one is kids who are playing sports and are able to expel, excel because of their skill level are then being asked to sacrifice many other healthy parts of what being a youth is all about activities where they're allowed to socialize with, uh, you know, other people in their school who may not be involved in their sports. Outside extracurriculars, such as the newspaper or the Model UN Club, which are important developmental milestones, not only in terms of mental development, but also social development and development of social skills that are going to serve them later in life. And then, unfortunately, there's also that group of kids who was using sports as a social outlet but maybe didn't have the innate talent to be able to play at an extremely high skill level who by high school just says, you know what, there's not a place for me in youth sports anymore and I just can't play. And and I think those are the wrong messages to be sending to kids who are 13, 14, 15, 16 years old.
1: And again, you're listening to Score Values here on 670 The Score. We're speaking with Dr. Nick Hill Verma, Director of Sports Medicine at Midwest Orthopedics at Rush. He's also Head Team Physician for the White Sox and Team Physician for the Bulls. Another thing that you... you I, you kind of were, were touching on a little bit earlier is the, the resources for these, these youth arenas or fields. and the difference that I, I want to talk about here is the difference in resources between professional and youth athletes, and it was specifically when it comes to you know like maybe if a youth athlete is having some kind of pain, their resources to help with that are not nearly as much as they are on the professional level.
2: Yeah, so I think there's a couple things that go along with that. Number one is many times what I see is that kids are scared to report that they're having a problem, that they're having pain or they're having an injury. Uh, They worry about who they reported to. You know, They may be playing on multiple teams, and they're kind of responsible for their role on each of those teams, and they don't want to let people down, whether that's their coaches, their parents, or their teammates. And so they deal with the pain for a long period of time before they finally speak up. And usually they speak up because it's, frankly, affecting their performance. And that's finally the time that somebody hears about it and they get into my office. Secondly, what we see is that, you know, on the professional side, they have all sorts of resources to help them to do their best. They've got nutritionists, they've got sleep counselors, they've got athletic trainers, strength and conditioning coaches, position coaches, and then, of course, course a head coach uh, that are all looking to try to help them to perform at their best. And so one of the things that I find really problematic is, for example, when we do a Tommy John procedure on a younger kid, they just don't have those resources available. So they're often left to their own devices to figure out, how do I rehab this injury? When is it safe for me to start throwing? How much can I throw initially? How quickly do I ramp up my throwing? When is it safe for me to... To be off a mound. And frankly, when we look at some of our data, what we find is that the professional athletes have much better outcomes than the youth athletes for a given procedure. Now, some of that may be due to the fact that, you know, at the end of the day, talent just wins and they can overcome some barriers just because of their innate talent and skills. But I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that the younger kids just don't have access to the resources. And so these injuries can often be uh much higher have much higher rates of career threatening uh meaning the end of their sports career in comparison to older athletes who are simply focusing on their rehab and then go back to a um, a single sport afterwards
1: so that leads me to i think basically the ultimate question here and that Is when you should start saying, okay, I'm going to specialize in one sport. Say if you have aspirations of being a professional athlete, you know, guys like Bo Jackson who can play MLB and NFL are very rare. So at what point do you think it is best to say, okay, I'm going to focus on one sport?
2: Yeah, so I think that's a fair point, right? The Bo Jacksons and the, the Deion Sanders are rare events, but we're talking about players who are now playing two sports at the highest level. What I would tell you is not a rare event is when you talk to a professional player and you ask them, what did you play in high school? And I would say more often than not, they were the stars on multiple teams, right? They weren't just the star in baseball, but they were, uh, you know, their high school linebacker or they were the basketball player. And so that's a much more common situation where professional players were able to excel at multiple sports during their high school time frame. What I think is appropriate is that pay, players start to specialize once they reach skeletal maturity, which is generally 16 to 18 for boys and mm-hmm. 15 to 17 for females. And that really translates well to the time when they're transitioning away from high school and into college. So if you're an athlete that's that's good enough to play in the college arena, that's the time I think that it's, it's really relevant to specialize into one sport. Number one, your body is ready for it. Number two, th- the school demands it, right? You're, you're generally recruited to play in a single sport, and that's the program that you're vested in. And number three is by the time you get to the point where you're playing high school or, excuse me, collegiate athletics, now you have the surrounding cast to help you be successful number one. And number two is you're no longer required to play sports year round, right? When you're playing a college sport, you're going to focus on that sport in season. And then you're going to focus on keeping yourself healthy and getting ready for the next season. It's very rare that people play collegiate sports and then continue to play that sport during the off season in some other uh, world, so to speak. So I think that transition to college is really the time where it makes sense to transition to a single sport and where single sports athletes can be handled responsibly.
1: Well, Dr. Verma, that's all I have for you. Is there anything else that you wanted to touch on that I didn't bring up? No,
2: I think we covered most of it. Okay, I think great. That was uh, pretty comprehensive.
1: Uh, great. Well, Dr. Verma, thank you so much for all the information. Appreciate the time. All right. Thanks for having me. That was Dr. Nikhil Verma. He's the director of sports medicine at Midwest Orthopedics at Rush. Also, the head team physician for the White Sox and team physician for the Chicago Bulls. You're listening to Score Values on 670 to Score. I'm your host, Adams Staczynski. Up next, Major League Baseball this past week announced a 324-game suspension for Los Angeles pitcher Trevor Bauer, who has been accused of sexual assault. That's the equivalent of two full seasons and the most severe punishment handed out under MLB's domestic violence policy to this point. Bauer released a statement on Twitter denying the accusations against him and says he's appealing the suspension. During a transition segment this past week on The Score, Lawrence Holmes, Matt Spiegel, and Mark Grody reacted to the news of Bauer's suspension in real time.
4: We have a bit of breaking news here which is that Trevor Bauer, that's interesting. I don't, have you seen it yet, Lawrence? Uh, no. Are, what do you think, what is a reasonable suspension from Major League Baseball to give to Trevor Bauer for uh, violating, um, for violating the, the, you know, the, the personal conduct policy, uh, violating the domestic violence policy, knowing that his case was thrown out of court and there's going to be nothing criminal? What is
3: a reasonable suspension? Not criminal, thrown out of court. I would say, oh, with, with that in mind, 30 games?
4: Yeah, you know, I, I don't know what I thought, but I didn't think it was going to be this. It's a two-year suspension. Two years? Um, oh, wow. I God. was not expecting it to be that either. Three, 324 games. Two are full they, seasons. Are they counting the time that he was on administrative leave? I do not. I, I do not know. Um, I know that Bauer is going to uh, appeal, um, and I know that he, he just tweeted now, in the strongest possible terms, I deny committing any violation of the league's domestic violence and sexual assault policy. I'm appealing this action and expect to prevail as we have throughout this process, my representatives and I respect the confidentiality of the proceedings. So we'll, we'll I, see about that. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, right, and I don't know if MLB is thinking like sometimes when they levy a like a five game suspension for a brawl, they're expecting that to get appealed and to split the difference. Yep. I don't know if they're they're leaning heavy on this one, but that is much longer than I expect. A hell of
3: a precedent. To, to be setting I agree. right there. And I, I think it would pro- it probably makes a lot of people happy. But the fact that it that it is not being criminally tried and that they are going with this, that blows me out of the water. Two two seasons. Yeah. How old is Trevor Bauer? Thirty one? I don't even not I, even
4: I don't think he's reached thirty one. Okay. I think he was he's probably twenty nine.
3: Huh. Okay. I mean, so I one. wonderful play again. I mean, I don't know.
4: It was really interesting how much the rest of the guys in that clubhouse
0: were like, "Oh, that's too bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trevor's <laughs> not here anymore. Yeah, that's
4: too bad. Uh huh. Well, anyway, on with the rest of the season. Yeah, you know, like they they didn't care at all that he was gone.
3: There was a time from our perspective, when I say our perspective, I mean the media's, he he was a treasure until he stopped being a treasure uh, because he was interesting and he would say fun things.
4: He's 31, by the way. He is 31. Okay. Yeah. Yeah and and, and and clearly yeah rubbed rubbed a lot of people the wrong way and then yeah no he made a turn where he sort of became a darling cuz he said some yes. truths out loud Mike
3: up, interviews like in-game interviews he would but say real stuff But probably
0: a bad guy. Though. Yeah. Oh yeah.
3: yeah, I never didn't think he wasn't a bad guy. Mm-hmm. I just I just thought he was interesting and harmless but apparently he is harmful and he's got 2 years to think about that. Yeah.
1: That's Lawrence Holmes Mark Grody And Matt Spiegel this past week on The Score reacting to the news that Trevor Bauer has been suspended for the equivalent of two seasons because of the sexual assault allegations against him. Bauer again released a statement on Twitter after the suspension was announced that said this. In the strongest possible terms, I deny committing any violation of the league's domestic violence and sexual assault policy. I'm appealing this action and expect to prevail As we have throughout the process, my representatives and I respect the confidentiality of the proceedings. The Los Angeles Dodgers also released a statement which said this, quote, Today, we are informed that MLB has concluded its investigation into allegations that have been made against Trevor Bauer, and the commissioner has issued his decision regarding discipline. The Dodgers organization takes all allegations of this nature very seriously and does not condone or excuse any acts of domestic violence or sexual assault. We've cooperated fully with MLB's investigation since it began, and we fully support MLB's joint domestic violence, sexual assault, and child abuse policy and the commissioner's enforcement of the policy. We understand that Trevor has the right to appeal the commissioner's decision. Therefore, we will not comment further until the process is complete. Bauer joined the Dodgers on a three-year, $102 million contract in February of last year. That's after he won the National League Cy Young Award during the COVID-19 shortened 2020 season. He spent the last 81 regular season games of the past season on administrative leave, plus an additional 18 to begin the 22 season this year. If the suspension does stick, Bauer would be not allowed to play in Major League Baseball until the 19th game of the 2024 season. That's it for this week's edition of Score Values on 670 to Score. If there's a topic you'd like to hear about on a future edition of our show, or if you'd like to share information about an upcoming charitable event, send us an email at scorevalues670 at gmail.com. That's scorevalues670 at gmail.com. I'm Adam Stazinski and thanks for listening to this week's edition of Score Values on 670 The Score.